All right, we got a good message this morning. I don't know about the delivery of it, but the message is really good. So we'll see how we do on that. But uh, very excited about being here today. And those of you tuning in by live stream, we have a handful of people here in the auditorium. They braved the elements. And, uh, but our parking lot is a mess out there. And I know a lot of folks, uh, I, I was just worried a lot of folks would have trouble getting in and uh, didn't want anybody to fall or get hurt. So I know a lot of our folks have stayed home and watched by way of live stream. Not to mention it's cold out there. And uh, it's going to be getting some pretty good snow, I think, uh, over the next couple of days. I think starting this afternoon sometime. And uh, so I'm from Florida. So any more than about a quarter inch of snow is a lot. So... Uh, I feel like I live in Alaska where it's like really deep when it gets to be a quarter inch. So, But uh, anyway, good to see everybody here today. And uh, those of you tuning in by live stream, thank you for joining with us. And uh, we're going to start singing this morning number 263, A Shelter in the Time of Storm. The Lord's our rock, in Him we hide. A shelter in the time of storm. <clears throat> number 263. The Lord's our rock, in Him we hide, a shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever ill betide, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. A shade by day, defense by night, a shelter in the time of storm. No fears alarm, no foes affright, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Though raging storms may round us beat, a shelter in the time of storm. We'll never leave our safe retreat, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. O rock divine, O refuge dear, a shelter in the time of storm. Be thou our helper ever near, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is the rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We thank the Lord for the wonderful week He's given to us. And uh, we did mention, in case you had not heard yet, that Brother Bob Schwabert went home to be with the Lord this week. And uh, continue to pray for the family, if you will. And um, I did not look up the funeral arrangements between Sunday school and church. I failed to do that. But uh, I will get those and have Miss Sandy either call with that this week for you uh, or this afternoon. Or uh, we'll try to get it for you by the afternoon service and uh, have that information available to you. It's going to be at a funeral home up in Arnold, Missouri. And uh, I can't 
remember the name of it. It's one I had not heard of before, but I'm sorry? Might be. Let me double check on that make sure. Is, do you already know what it is? Or? We're up there, right. Yeah, I think so. So probably the same one, but I'll double check that for you and make sure. Um, and then we'll uh, get that information to you and um, be in prayer for the family. Uh, I know Brother Bob was ready to go. He just was uh, ready to go. And uh, this is his first day, our first Sunday in heaven. And I wonder kind of what he's doing, if who his Sunday school teacher is. You know, <laughs> Could you imagine <clears throat> going to Sunday school and there's Jesus standing up there as the teacher? Uh, boy, I'll tell you, wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, be a lot better than hearing me preach, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, I'll tell you, I can't even imagine. Uh, that, you know, you hear people talk about, boy, I want to see my loved ones, my family, my friends. You know, I think when we get to heaven, the first thing all of us are going to do is see the Lord Jesus Christ. I really do. Uh, I think He's He's going to be the highlight of heaven. He's going to be all that heaven is to us. And uh, look forward to it. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer. And we'll ask for the Lord's blessing on the service this morning. Father, we're so thankful, grateful for your word and for the opportunity, the privilege to be here together. Thank you for those that were able to be here, others that uh, have taken precautions, trying to be careful, and uh, safety factors that uh, need to be considered, uh, some with health issues. And Lord, we pray that you would bless and draw near to them, give grace and comfort, fellowship to them throughout this week. <coughs> we pray that you'll bless the message. And, Lord, speak to our hearts, encourage us through your word, and challenge us. I pray that it would reprove and rebuke us, instruct us in righteousness, and bring conviction where it's needed. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. May your Holy Spirit do his work. Most importantly, may he do his work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Number 264. Number 264. I failed to mention we had a new Sunday school teacher today, and uh, we thank the Lord for that. And uh, that is uh, Corey. Corey taught the, uh, what grade is that? Third through sixth? First through third? I don't know. Whatever grade that is. Taught his sisters. That's what it was. <laughs> taught the Sunday school lesson this morning for them. And uh, that was pretty exciting. I'm trying to talk him into teaching it for us for our afternoon service and see how he does and enjoy that. But uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, appreciate him stepping in this morning, and I mean that, Corey. That's, uh, that's very commendable. I appreciate you doing that, and uh, hope the girls learned something from it. Did y'all learn anything from it? Yeah? No? You won't, One of these days you'll let us know. So, But I uh, appreciate Corey doing that this morning. Uh, number 264, in the garden. In the garden. <coughs> Excuse me. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear. The Son of God discloses and He walks with me and He talks with me. And he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet 
the birds hush their singing, and the melody that He gave to me within my heart is ringing. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I'd stay in the garden with Him, though the night around me be falling. But He bids me go through a voice of woe, His voice to me is calling. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. <clears throat> Let's go over to number 265, if you will. Number 265, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. If you know it, sing it with us. So some of you at home may not know this one, so just maybe hum along and uh, hopefully it will be an encouragement to you. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life When the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. It is safely moored, twill the storm withstand, for it is well secured by the Savior's hand. Though the tempest rage and the wild winds blow, not an angry wave shall our bark o'erflow. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. When our eyes behold through the gathering night, the city of gold, our harbor bright. We shall anchor fast by the heavenly shore, with the storms all past forevermore. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Amen. Aren't you glad we have an anchor today? I'm, I'm so grateful that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And, uh, you know, as we grow, uh, a lot of times we change our opinions on things. 
We may change our outlook on things. We may change our beliefs on things. But it's wonderful in the Christian life to know that as long as we're holding to the Word of God, it never changes. We don't have to be pushed about or, or blown about. Well, the Bible uses this phrase, by every wind of doctrine. We can come to God's Word and we can know exactly what God wants us to know. Uh, His doctrine and uh, His Word, and we thank the Lord for it. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you will. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Second Corinthians chapter number 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened not for that we uh, would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are also uh, therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith not by sight. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message, and Lord, use it, I pray. And my heart is burdened for this topic this morning, and that we, uh, Lord, in my life even, that we learn more to walk by faith and less by sight. That as we go through this Christian life, that we would have our strength, our faith strengthened and increased. And that our sight of the things of this world will begin to grow strangely dim. Father, that we would not give so much credence to the things that we see. The things which can be explained. But that we would look to your word and we would find faith. And that that faith would grow. So Father, help us this morning as we look into this passage to learn some things that will help us in this area. Of walking by faith and not by sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting to me that God has created man uh, in a very unique way. And God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in chapter uh, 2 and 3. The Bible speaks about those things and how that He fashioned them in His own image, in the image of God. The Bible says, created He them. <coughs> and then in chapter number 3, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. We know the story how the serpent comes to Eve, and he says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And she says, Of every tree of the garden but one. And we know the story that uh, he begins to, to question what God had said, to get her to doubt. And you know what the Bible tells us about Eve taking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It says, When she saw that the tree was good for food, and pleasant to the eyes. Do you know the very first sin, the very first beginning of sin, was a problem with what we were seeing? It's interesting to me how often in Scripture the Bible talks about our sight. How much we, we succumb to it. The Bible says that our eye affecteth our heart. It's interesting to me in, in 2 Peter, if you will, hold your place here because we're going to come back to 2 Corinthians in just a moment. But look with me, if you will, in 2 Peter chapter number 2 for a minute. 
We were there in the Sunday school hour, but Second Peter chapter number 2, <clears throat> and look with me in verse number 7. Second Peter chapter number 2. The Bible says, let's back at verse number 6, uh, "...and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them for an overthrow, making them an example to, unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered, notice this, and delivered just Lot, meaning he was a just man, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them..." What are the next two words? "...in seeing..." and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Can I tell you this? We are prone to being affected by what we see. Uh, we find that when Peter, in Matthew chapter number 14, was called out of the boat during the storm to walk on the water with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that when he saw the winds that were driving, he saw the waves, what happened? His faith was weakened because he was walking by sight and not by faith. Take your Bibles, if you will. Turn with me to John chapter number 20. Again, holding your place in 2 Corinthians as we'll be right back there. John chapter number 20. I want you to notice as we find Jesus has risen from the dead at this point and He's meeting now with His disciples. In John chapter number 20 and verse number 24 <clears throat> the Bible says, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, notice this phrase, this isn't the point I'm making, but I love this. It says, was not with them when Jesus came. You want an argument for why we ought to be in church every time the doors are open? <laughs> you might miss something. I mean, think about this. The disciples came to, to Thomas and said, Thomas, we just saw the risen Christ. And he said, I don't believe it. Why didn't he believe it? Because he wasn't there. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to, to miss out and, and to not be here one day or not tune in and listen to the service one day and God show up and do something that day miraculous and you say, I can't believe I missed it. You know what's amazing to me? <clears throat> the second time that Christ appeared to the disciples, guess who was there? Thomas. <laughs> he wasn't going to miss it twice in a row. I like that. He learned from his mistake. But I want you to notice what's said here. The Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall what? See in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side. I will what? I will what? I will not believe. Can we say this about all of the examples in Scripture that we've read this morning? That each of these fellows at that moment in time in their spiritual lives were walking by sight and not by faith? How often in our lives, even though we come to church, we read our Bibles, we pray, we're faithful, we love God, we have a heart for God, we catch ourselves walking by sight and not by faith. The Apostle Paul is speaking here and he has a lot of critics He's already uh, had a lot of persecution in his ministry. <clears throat> and he goes through these things in, in uh, verse number, chapter number 5. And uh, he talks about the fact that as long as we're in this body, that we're absent from the Lord. And then he makes this statement, For we walk by faith, not by sight. He says, We are confident, I say, 
and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now understand what he's saying here. There's been some persecution. Paul has been criticized. We're going to see some of the criticisms here in just a minute. We're going to see two specifically that he's criticized of. And we find here that, that Paul is saying, listen, I, as long as I'm here, I'm absent from the Lord. But listen, I'm willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord in order to be obedient to Christ. You know how I can be that way? He says, because I'm walking by faith, not by sight. I'm not walking by the things that I see. I'm walking by the things that I know because God has told them to me. God has showed them to me. What are some of the things that Paul saw? If he was walking by sight, were there obvious things that Paul saw? Well, certainly. It wasn't that Paul was blind. But he had made a decision that he was not going to walk by the things that he saw. He was going to walk by faith. Look at the things that he saw. We find them as we get to verse number 2. For in this we what? We what? We groan. You know, Paul realized this life is hard. We groan. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our houses which is from heaven. He said, man, I'd love to go to heaven. Right now I'm groaning. I'm, I'm in this world. There's problems in this world. And this is what Paul saw. Imagine if Paul was living by what he saw. If, if the truth be told, imagine what you and I would be like if all we ever did was live by what we saw. We're living in a day where there's a lot of things to see. I could say it this way as Christians, we groan. There are times we moan and groan, and sometimes we make it known on Facebook that we're groaning and moaning. And he says in verse number 3, If so be that being clothed we should not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, notice this, being what? Burdened. We groan. There's burdens in this world. There's hardships. There's trials. This is what Paul saw. Paul was not oblivious to this. Paul was not some super spiritual Christian man. He didn't uh, have SC on his chest, a super Christian who didn't, uh, was not burdened, didn't affect him what he saw. Paul saw the same things you and I saw. But he made a decision. He made a decision. I'm not going to walk by what I see. I'm going to walk by what I have faith in. Look what he says here in verse number 4. He says, for we that are in this tabernacle to groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon you, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. He saw that we were groaning in, in circumstances and trials of life. He noticed that truth, truthfully, and it said this of the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, even though we think that we're clothed and well-fed, we're really wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And Paul saw that. Oh, wretched man that he was, he said. Verse number, uh, we find that he was burdened. We find that he was consumed with his own mortality. You know, mortality can be pretty depressing if that's all you ever look at. If there's no faith to believe that this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruptible must put on incorruption, we walk by sight, that's a pretty depressing way to live, isn't it? No wonder Paul said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So, so let's take a look at some things here. Verse number 5. The Bible says, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the what? Of the Spirit. If you and I did not have the Spirit of God living inside of us and helping us and aiding us in our faith, then we would, have no, we would be resigned to living our life by sight. But aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit? He builds our faith. 
He leads us. He guides us. He directs us. He opens His Word to us. We understand truth that the natural man cannot understand. And it allows us to say, I can walk by faith. I don't have to walk by sight. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm glad for that. I'm glad I don't have to walk by sight. Why? Because God gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to walk by faith. He says, therefore, we are always... Now, this is what walking in faith will do for you. We are always what? We are confident. Knowing this, while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But notice what he says in verse number 8. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor. There was some criticism. Paul, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you putting up with all this, this, this persecution? Why are you doing all of these things? I mean, don't you understand this world is in a bad situation? Don't you understand the trials, the burdens that you're facing? Paul, if, if, if I were you, I'd just give up. And this was the kind of ridicule and criticism Paul was getting. He was being beaten. He was being stoned. He was being uh, criticized by even some of the people in the church. Paul, why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you continuing to labor? <coughs> That's the question, isn't it? He wasn't worried about what men thought of him. Notice what it says here as we get down to verse number 12. For we commend... Let's back up verse number 11. Uh, we'll start verse 12. We'll come back to verse 11 in a minute. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. He said, you know what, fellas? We're, we're, not, we're not trying to seek your approval. We're steadfast, and I know some of you out there that are looking at the appearance rather than the heart can glory in that for us. But that's not what we're doing. That's what he's saying here. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. Well, we've spent a lot of time here recently, haven't we, on the inner man? To not, to not just go through the Christian motions of appearance, <clears throat> If, if a Christian goes through the outward appearance, and that's all they're concerned about is cleaning and cleansing the outside of the cup, we can say that person is walking by sight. They're certainly not walking by faith. That's not their motivation. They're trying to get approval of men. And can I tell you this? They, they, Paul wasn't worried in the slightest. If you went to Paul and said, Paul, you know, did you hear what the, 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 uh, the Corinthian Chronicle said about you on the front page? Can you, man, they were slandering you, Paul. Uh, that didn't bother him. Paul, can you imagine? I'll tell you, did you hear what so-and-so in the church said about you? That, I mean, that, that guy's a deacon. Did you hear what he said about you? Paul said, I don't care. Why? Because his confidence wasn't in men. The frivolity, the vanity that is given so often in our churches of looking to men's approval. Can I tell you this, folks? That is empty. That is vain. These churches that go around and they give out surveys and they say, well, we want to be a church that you like. What can we do to make you like us? Can I tell you, that is so opposed to Scripture. I'm not out to make people not like us for the sake of not liking us. But I really don't, I don't think of it either way. My thought is, we need to be a church that glorifies God. 
We need to be a church that lifts up His Word and teaches His Word uh, line upon line and precept upon precept. And, and we're not out to offend people. We're not out to hurt people. But folks, we've got to be diligent in this matter so that we can be said that we are walking by faith and not by sight. Well, if you preach that, the offerings will go down. Not my concern. Well, if you preach that, people will leave the church. They'll get mad and leave the church. Not my concern. Our first, our first priority is to walk by faith. To say, God, you're the one that matters. They were ridiculed. I want you to notice two, two areas that they were ridiculed in. Look with me in verse number 12. He says, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you an occasion, give you occasion of glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. You know what one of the criticisms Paul uh, and this, this tends to always be the case. But one of the criticisms Paul got were from the, the people that were the pillars of the church, if you will, or they were from the people that were probably ingrained in the church. They'd been there a long time. They saw Paul come in. Paul was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. This man was full of zeal. He was full of boldness. And most importantly, he was full of the power of the Holy Ghost upon his ministry. They'd never seen anything like that before. They looked at him and they criticized him and said, Paul, all you're after is the appearance. All you're after is to get the church to look at you and say, boy, aren't you somebody? And Paul said, certainly that's not it, but that was one of the accusations he got. So it says in verse 12, he said, we didn't commend ourselves unto you, but you've done it. You've taken and tried to give an answer to people that are critics and said that, uh, that, that, that it's all about the appearance and not about the heart. Look with me in verse 13. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. You know what the other criticism he got? Paul, you're crazy. You're beside yourself. You're out of your mind. Why are you doing what you're doing? No man would endure the persecution that you're doing if he wasn't in it for something. Why then do you do these things? That's the question today, isn't it? Why do we serve God? Is it because we want the appearance of men? Why do we serve God? Are we worried about what people are going to think? Are we worried about people thinking we're crazy? Why do we serve God? And why do we do so steadfastly? There's two reasons Paul gives here, and I want us to look at them this morning. Two ways, two reasons that Paul could say, we walk by faith, not by sight. Number one, look with me if you will in verse number 10. He says in verse number 10, For we must all appear. Let's back up verse number 9. He says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. So we're speaking here of his labor, okay? Make sure we're in context here. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. I'm only working for him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the what? The terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also uh, are made manifest in your conscience. Now, now follow what Paul's saying here in verse number 11. He says, listen, I know the terror of the Lord. What was he speaking of here? Was he talking about a reverent fear of God? No. What Paul was speaking of here in verse number 11 about the terror of the Lord was found in verse number 10. 
He says, for, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and everyone, that everyone may receive the things that is done in his body. What is the terror of the Lord? Can I tell you this? The terror of the Lord is the Lord's judgment on our failures. Now, bear with me for a minute. There is going to be a judgment that you and I will have to stand in, and we will have to give an account for every deed that we've done in our body since we've been saved. And we need to understand that there's a judging God. And there's a God that will judge, but He will judge righteously. Paul says, I understand this. Paul says, this is in my thoughts. When when I get out here and I'm tired and it's cold and I don't really want to do this and I've been beaten and I've been stoned and boy, that's not fun at all. And the reason that I keep going and going and going and these people say I'm crazy and these people say I'm doing it for appearance sake. No, no. I'm doing it because I know there's a judgment coming where I will give an account for what I have done. And I don't get to stand there with a group of people. But the Bible says every one of us will stand. There's going to come a day where Greg Boer will stand before a holy God one-on-one. And God is going to judge me. And Paul says, I don't know about you, that's a terrifying idea because the truth is I know how much I fail him. That's a terrifying truth. That there is going to come a judgment. The deeds that I have in my body and the things that I've done since I've been saved, I will stand before God and give an account of. My service, I will stand and give an account of. You know, the Bible talks about even the sort of work that we do, what our motive was in that work. That there's going to be some work that even though it's a good work because it's of the wrong sort, it'll be burned. Notice what he says here. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. And he goes on to say in verse number 11, I know the terror of the Lord. He says, I am manifest to God. You know what the word manifest means? It means to be laid open. To bear, to be transparent. Paul says this, listen, there may be some things I can be, I can appear to be to men. But when, when the rubber meets the road, when the, when the time comes that I have to stand before God, God has seen it all. I've been laid bare. My life is manifest before God. By the way, your life is manifest before God. Everything that we do, every motive that we have, every thought that we think, every word that we say is manifest to God. And we will stand and give an account for it. And Paul says, that motivates me. I'm going to be faithful to serve God. I'm going to continue to work. I'm going to continue to serve. I'm going to continue to labor. Why? Because I've got to stand before God one day. And I understand that terror. I understand the thought of having to stand before a holy God and give this account. He says, for we are made manifest unto God. And he says this, I trust also are manifest in your consciences. He said, my my goal, my heart is that you see us this way also. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For the love of, for whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Now notice verse 14. Why, Paul? 
Why do you labor? If these people are criticizing you, they're calling you crazy for continuing to do what you do just because of all the opposition and, and persecution you've been through. You're crazy, Paul. You're doing it just for show. You're trying to make people think you're somebody you're not. No, no. Paul said, I do it because I understand the terror of the Lord. There's going to come a day that I've got to give an answer. But he says that's not the only reason. You know, if that was the only reason, you and I would be miserable in serving God. To only serve out of terror. When I was a kid, I learned to obey my mom and dad. You know, there were times I obeyed because I loved my mom and dad dearly. Jumped right up, had no problem obeying. But there were a few times I had to experience the terror of my father to motivate me to continue to obey. It took both. And can I tell you this? When we get to verse number 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ, what? It does what? Constraints me. I looked up that word constraineth in the Webster's 1828 dictionary. I want to read you the definition. I love this. It says that to be constrained is to be have an irresistible force which compels to act or to forbear in acting that which so urgently strong uh, uh, which urges so strongly as to produce its effect upon the body or mind. To be constrained, to have this irresistible force. Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me. Can I tell you this? We would never understand, and follow me on this, it's important that Paul knew the terror of the Lord, or he would have never fully understood and fully been constrained by the love of Christ. Because when we understand the terror of the Lord, the judgment of God, and then we understand the love of God, which gives us forgiveness in those things. And even though I'm going to stand before a holy God one day and give an account for every word and every deed that I've done in my body since I got saved, I am still going to be saved. That's the love of God. I'm not going to go to hell for those things. I'm going to suffer loss of reward, and for that I'll be sorrowful. I will have certainly some shame that God will have to wipe away. But aren't you glad as a Christian today that not only is there the terror of the Lord that tells us that God is a judge for those things that are wrong, but He is also one that loves us and gives us forgiveness of those things? If if Paul had not fully understood the terror of the Lord, he would never comprehend the love of the Lord in all of its fullness. He would never understand that the love of God was so great that it constrained him. It became an irresistible force that compelled him to act or to forbear in acting. Notice what it says here in verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, (laughs) I love this, then we're all dead. You know what Jesus, you know what God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of the Day, uh, Garden of Eden, He said, The day wherein ye eat thereof, ye shall what? You shall surely die. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the what? The judgment. But God commendeth His love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. I was saying in Sunday school this morning, Alexander McLaren, I was reading him this morning, or this week, uh, on, uh, on some of this stuff, and he made this statement. He says, love constrains And not only constrains, but impels. Because it becomes a joy to divine 
and to do the will of the beloved Christ. My yoke is easy. Is it? It's very hard to be a Christian, he says. His requirements are a great deal sterner than others. His yoke is easy. Alexander McLaren says this, not because it is a lighter yoke, but because it is padded with love. And that makes all service a sacrament. And the surrender of my own will, which is the essence of obedience, a joy. Paul says, I understand the terror of the Lord. Oh, what a great and terrible judge he is. It constrains me. It motivates me. I serve because of it. But that's not the only reason. I walk by faith and not by sight. Not because I understand the terror of the Lord alone, but because I am also constrained by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of Christ constraineth me. He says, for if one died for all, then we're all dead. When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. The Bible says that, verse John chapter 3, verse number 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And I read this statement this week and I thought, boy, what a statement. The love that constraineth is the love that died for all because it died for each. I'm thankful that God didn't just die for the whole world. He died for Greg Boer. When he died, that one, we all died. And notice what he says here in verse 15. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. This is Paul explaining it. This is how I can live by faith and not by sight. This is how I can continue to labor in days of persecution and ridicule and turmoil. He says that they, in verse number 15, that they which, should, which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Therefore, verse number 17, Paul says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Christ Jesus. And I love this part. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the love that Paul said constrains me. I've been reconciled to Christ. I've been reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. And because He's done this for me, God has allowed me to have a ministry of showing that reconciliation to others. To take this reconciliation and to have a ministry in it. Paul says, that's why I labor. That's why I travel. That's why I go from church to church. That's why I endure persecution. Paul, how are you walking? Well, I'm not walking by sight. If I was walking by sight, I'd have given up long ago. I walk by faith. 
How do you do that, Paul? I understand the terror of the Lord. And I understand the love of the Lord. And it takes both to fully understand and comprehend the other. I cannot fully understand the terror of the Lord if I don't understand the love of the Lord. Nor can I understand fully the love of the Lord if I don't understand His terror. Paul says now in verse number 20, and I love this. Let's back up verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of what? Reconciliation. Well, that's the love that constrains, isn't it? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He comes to the church in Corinth. They were ridiculing him. They were saying, you're crazy. You're, you're out of your head. You're not sober. You're not in your right mind. They said, the people who did think he was in his right mind said, you're just doing it for show. You're just doing it for appearance. Paul said, you guys have missed it completely. I do it because I understand the terror of the Lord and because the love of Christ constrains me. He's given me the ministry of reconciliation. He says in verse number 20, Be ye reconciled to God. In the face of disappointment, persecution, ridicule, you know what Paul's concern was? That they be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I was laying in bed last night. I was thinking through the message this morning. And I thought of that verse. When God sees me, He sees a righteous person. And can I share a secret with you this morning? I'm not. But that's what God sees. And he sees that because I've been reconciled to him by Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? If we're not careful, we're going to look at this world and we're going to walk by sight. Circumstances get too much. Can't just can't do it. I can't go on. Tell that to Paul. That little phrase just seems to be inserted right there in the middle of the passage. In fact, it's even in parentheses. So vital to the understanding of this chapter. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Can I tell you, there has never been a more desperate time in the history of mankind for Christians to walk by faith to reconcile this world to God, to take this ministry of reconciliation that God has chosen and seen fit to lay the responsibility upon us, to take that ministry of reconciliation and go to the world and say, be reconciled to God. Let me tell you of this great, great love that He had for us. Is there a terror of God? Oh, yes. He's a righteous judge. His judgment demands penalty for sin. But aren't you glad He gave His love in such a way that we get forgiveness of that sin? There is therefore now no condemnation, the Bible says, to them which are in Christ Jesus, 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Oh, but we can rejoice in this. This question this morning is, are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? I'll be real frank with you. More often than I like to admit, I find myself walking by sight. We're prone to it, aren't we? We're prone to it. It takes a valiant effort. It takes eyes upon Christ. It takes being constrained by His love and understanding the terror of the Lord to be able to walk by faith the way that we should. Let's stand, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. Father, may we grow today. May when we leave this place, we, uh, may we have taken a step to be drawn closer to You. Lord, as we stand here, we don't have a piano player this morning, but as Your Holy Spirit has worked upon our hearts, perhaps in our own places, in our quiet time here together, we would uh, make commitments and decisions that perhaps You've laid upon our hearts. Maybe those watching by way of live stream take a few moments to pray and spend time with You. Lord, may we recommit ourselves to walking by faith, knowing that we need to understand the, the terror of the Lord. We need to understand the love that constrains us. Lord, we must have both. We must know both and understand both. If we're ever to walk by faith the way that we believe that we should. Father, help us. We ask that Your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us. Help us to become more of what we should be for You. Dismiss us now with Your blessings. We pray that You'll bless the service yet to come at 1 o'clock. Use it as you would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Dismissed.